Hello folks, welcome to another SACPA session. And um, today we acknowledge, SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the land of the Blackfoot people and the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. And we pay respect to their past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relationship to the land. SACPA commits to assist reconciliation efforts by raising awareness of the ways past and present injustices can be reconciled. SACPA also likes to thank um, University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald for their continuing support that we receive from them. Um, today, we're very happy to have with us Dr. David Finch. Dr. David Finch holds a PhD in management and is an active educator, scholar and practitioner. He currently holds several academic appointments, including as a professor at Mount Royal University's Bissett School of Business, a visiting fellow at the Hanley Business School at the University of Reading in the UK, and the Gordon S. Lang School of Business and Economics at the University of Guelph. As a senior fellow at the Institute of Community Prosperity, Dr. Finch reads, leads the Institute's City X Lab. This lab explores the intersection between a city's learning, creative and active experiences, and its ability to attract and develop and retain human capital. Dr. Uh, Finch, thank you for joining us today. And I very much look forward, and I think we all look forward to your presentation. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Annalise, and uh, and I look forward to this. Um, as you can see, what we're going to talk about today is the risk and the uh, arguably increasing risk of young people, young talent um, exiting uh, the province. And we're, we've been studying this issue for about the last 14 months, and I'm just going to provide a summary of some of the key themes that have emerged and some of the key actions that we can all take. So, Annalise, if you want to move to the next slide. Perfect. So this is this is a slide of Singapore, and and the next slide is a is a slide of Pittsburgh. Um, when you look at the nature of community and the nature of cities and their history and their um, how they emerged and where they emerged, uh, you know, often over millennia, the origin of cities are tied to proximity to natural resources and those natural resources may range from minerals uh, to oil and gas to trade routes and cities like pittsburgh and singapore are examples of those obviously so is calgary what's changed dramatically in the last 20 years annalise if you want to flip to the next slide, is a city's competitive advantage, a community's competitive advantage, where there's the urban rule is now defined by her. And if next slide, or defined by him. Um, this is about human capital. And moving on to the next slide, it's about a region's ability to attract, retain, develop, and mobilize human capital. Obviously, the province of Alberta has had historical access to natural resources, and that has what stimulated its growth in the last hundred plus years, whether it be a combination of agriculture um, or access to energy and fossil fuel products uh, and other products. And and we've seen a dramatic change where it's about the ability to harness human capital as opposed to natural capital. Um, 
and Lisa, if you want to move to the next slide. This is just um, a summary of what we've been doing over the last year. Um, it started, you know, one, one thing I'm a believer of is um, this topic is about young people and therefore um, it's fundamentally uh, uh, really must engage young people in having to solve the fundamental issue we're dealing with. Um, so it, it actually kicked off in the fall of 2020 where we brought together a team of 50 young people to study this issue and look at this issue um, in conjunction with our partners at the Canada West Foundation and Calgary Economic Development. We were specifically at that point looking at the scale and scope of, of Calgary. So I'm going to talk about some Calgary unique dynamics through the presentation, um, but also talk about some broader data that we've uh, that we've um, studied since then. Um, that led to a series of papers uh, that were released in uh, Q1 of this year and a, and a series of panels we hosted that looked at the issue and the risk of talent migration, specifically from Calgary and the drivers of it and potential activities that we can do to, to mitigate and ideally uh, invert it and to drive Calgary and Alberta back to a, a, a net gain of young talent. Um, as we started working on that project, the federal government became very interested in, uh, in conjunction with our partners at the other economic development agencies in the province and uh, the province of Alberta and uh, developed a joint team uh, between the City X Lab at Mount Royal, uh, the Canada West Foundation and our partners at the Stone Olufsen, a research firm based in Calgary. And what we've been doing is conducting a, a, a multi-level research study um, so that started in the spring is ongoing uh, and will be completed and a report will be then submitted to uh, our partners later at the end of this year. And that really looks at um, the issue from a, a holistic perspective. It involved a series of 12 workshops of young people uh, from across the province, uh, people who are living in the province and people who have left Alberta. So we wanted to get the views of young people to really understand um, in depth the drivers or their current mindset around the issue. That was then complemented by a national study uh, um, that ran in June of this year in which we studied data from Vancouver uh, across Alberta, uh, southern, central, northern Alberta, as well as large samples in both Calgary and Edmonton, uh, Toronto and Kitchener-Waterloo. Where this is really important is um, if we don't have data from other jurisdictions, we have no baseline. And the challenge with most of the data that existed um, on this issue of date is it was isolated. So there was either no comparable data from other jurisdictions or there was no longitudinal data. So we couldn't track trends. And looking at this more holistically was critical. The, the next element of the study is we then had a team of students do a whole social media sentiment analysis that was running from May to September. We were trying to mine social media to understand, um, does it triangulate some of the findings that were coming from the community workshops as well as through the survey. That then led to uh, um, um, a, another fall engagement of uh, 50 additional students who spent six weeks with the raw data that we gave them to identify and make recommendations on what we should do and the consult the the composite of all these activities will be the final report going forward at the end of the end of the year you're going to get a sneak preview of some of the some of the data and some of uh the insights if you could flip to the next slide Elise. I'm a marketing prof, and as a marketing prof, um, this is how I pursue and look at this issue. It's fundamentally a purchasing decision, and I would argue, and the research certainly support, that place 
whether it be a city, a region, or community, is life's most complex purchasing decision. It's something that we invest in and take very seriously because obviously it has a huge impact. Um, if you could flip to the next slide. So is there a problem when it comes to Alberta being a preferred product of choice. Um, what this chart shows is is migration over the last 50 years. Obviously, um, if you look at the trend line over 50 years, Alberta's all has been historically the net gainer. It has been the absolutely single largest province in regards to the attraction of young people uh, for a variety of different reasons over the last 50 years. If you look at the last five years, that has dropped off dramatically uh, to a trickle. Um, but if you look at the last one year, we've now moved, meaning we're bleeding more young people. Uh, young people in, in this study is defined as 18 to 29 year olds, uh, then we are, are gaining. And, and the question is why and what can we do about it? And at least I'm pretty good move to the next slide. So this is forward-looking data um, associated with the study we looked at, and we I clustered the data in, in three different regions. One is rural Alberta, one is big city Alberta, so that's Calgary and Edmonton, and what I, the other is what I call Can Metro, that's, that's Vancouver and Toronto combined. What the PMI is, is a provincial mobility intention score. So is there a high intention, the red is what we're interested in, of uh, these individuals leaving the province within the next three to five years. And that was asked in a variety of different ways uh, quantitatively. As you can see, um, about 36% of those in rural Alberta uh, state a very high intention of leaving their, their, the province within the next uh, three to five years. Alberta uh, big cities uh, sits at 51% high, mo high mobility intention. So 50% of young people in that cohort between age 18 and 29 state an intention to leave the province within uh, five years uh, in both Calgary and Edmonton. And then the CAN Metro gives us the baseline. So it says, you know what, there's a, there's a, a life stage dimension here as well. Um, this is a time for exploration. So even if people are sitting in Vancouver and Toronto, they may love their life. Even a third of those people um, state their intention of leaving their province within the next uh, three to five years. So that baseline is critical because there is a life stage dimension that we have to acknowledge. And what I always emphasize is also encourage. Um, I certainly encourage all my students to explore and move beyond their comfort zone, which often involves moving out of their community and out of their province because perspective and context is everything. And therefore, you know, going out and exploring the world is a wonderful thing. Not creating any robust mechanism to, to bring them home after they've had those um, incredible experiences is one of the challenges we're facing. And at least I'll move ahead. So the, this slide is just simply, um, there's no surprises here. This is a rating of the importance of, uh, of those quote unquote features and benefits, my, my marketing talk, around what people look for when they want to buy a community. Um, the leading is safe and clean. I don't want to live a place that's dirty or a place I'm going to get killed. Um, like there's, there's some uh, logic and obviousness to many of these. You'll see the blue coding is tied to thing uh, issues tied to economics. The green is tied to what I call the foundational elements. So that includes issues around 
obviously safety, cleanliness, transportation, in and out of access to the city. And then a critical one I'll be certainly talking to is, is the nature of an inclusive and welcoming community. Um, is absolutely table stakes uh, amongst this age cohort. Um, and it's very different than other data we've seen in the past. Um, uh, you'll see the red areas are what I call vibrancy indicators. So access to natural areas, access to entertainment and restaurants. And then uh, the blue is tied to, again, uh, economics. But you'll see there's dimensions tied to networking and education, which are inherently tied to economics. There's nothing surprising here. These are quite consistent jurisdictionally across the country. They're, they're globally very consistent. Um, and there's not a dramatic change demographically or socioeconomically across many of these things. Um, if you could move ahead, Annalise. The challenge with that purchasing model is just the shopping list. It doesn't allow us to activate much because, you know, making a priority to have a clean and safe city isn't really a strategy. Um, it's, it doesn't matter if you're 50 or 15, those are foundational. What we've developed in this study is what we call a purchasing model for place. Um, I won't have time to go, you know, into in, in excessive detail, but it's a complex model. Um, on the left-hand side um, are factors that are motivators and incentives. So they're intrinsic to an individual. Um, how, what, what about the economic factors in life? Um, it could be tied to employment. It could be tied to learning. It could be tied to affordability. What about other dimensions of place, amenities, vibrancy, um, active experience, transportation, and the below that, of course, is people. Relationships are critical and, and provide a tether uh, for many people to a community and city. Often, it also conflicts with their own personal wishes. They, they are conflicted whether they want to move to another place for a career or uh, other opportunities, but it involves uh, potentially leaving friends and family. Um, mediating factors um, at the top talk about um, the factors that start influencing a perception of the product. So that could be media, uh, network, social networks, the level of familiarity you had to have with the product or in this place, uh, in this context, the place. Have you been there before? Do you know what firsthand experience? Um, what was that experience like? And then of course, reputation. Reputation mediates our perception of the destination um, or our current place. Below it is, is contextual factors at uh, the individual level, which are absolutely critical. So that's the, the factors that contribute and form and influence how we form attitudes and ultimately triggers behaviors. So socioeconomic factors are fairly significant. Personal values, which is something amongst this cohort we need to be very cognizant of. Um, how the current location geographically influences attitudes, proximity and values, because obviously they're, they're con they condition uh, to a great extent people's values. And then a family mobility is a factor we built into the study. So looking at um, families and, and their history of movement. So mobility in parts of Canada. Has somebody moved here? Uh, somebody's parents moved here from Ontario or Vancouver. How does that influence their opinion? Are they first generation Canadians? So their parents moved here from um, out, of, out of Canada. How does that then form their and influence their opinion? And on the right are what we call the dependent variable, and that's mobility and tension. So in this study, we looked at three factors, provincial mobility and tension, 
community mobility intention. So that is staying within a province or region, but leaving the current community you're in. And the third is the relocation of destination. So I want to move to a Vancouver as opposed to wanting to move to um, uh, a Toronto. Um, so we looked at all these factors in our study. And at least you're going to move ahead. So one of the things as a marketer and you know, again, just introducing the complexity, there, no need to read into this other than the fact that um, what marketers have learned over the last two decades is that we've shifted from a transactional view um, of how we work with our customers and, and build relationships with our customers. Um, and what we look at a relationship as far more of a journey. Um, and so what we have the young people do is they mapped journeys out. They mapped a whole series of journeys that started as early as elementary school and map out how opinions are formed in elementary school, how they're starting to be solidified in middle, middle school, right through high school. We then define what we call a moment of truth. The first moment of truth is an off-ramp at the end of high school in which people have then a decision. Do I move? Do I stay? Do I go? Why am I going? Am I going to go work outside the province, go to school outside the province? If they stay in the province, say, potentially pursuing post-secondary education, the next moment of truth is at the end of post-secondary. So two to four years later, there's another off-ramp. It's a, what we call a moment of truth, too, in which uh, what at that point what they're looking at is when I'm graduating, do I stay here? Do I go? Where's the employment in my field? What are my hopes and dreams professionally? Do I pursue those inside or outside of the province? Um, that moves on to the third moment of truth. The third moment of truth is somewhere between six and 10 years after post-secondary graduation. And that's when people start thinking about settling. Um, do I want to, in fact, raise a family in the, where I currently am? Can I afford to, to live here? Um, is this going to be the place I want to see my, um, my career professionally? Those are the three moments of truth that last over that first kind of 15 years. And what we certainly recommend is that going deep and understanding this journey is where, in fact, we can start having implications simply trying to hit them at a point a moment of truth at in grade 12 and fourth university it's far too late um for opinions and attitudes have been formed um and that intervention is just too late we can look at any of those experiences if you cancel your cell phone service your cable company um it's very difficult for those companies to save you as you're canceling that business because there's years of uh, factors that contributed to your dissatisfaction. And guess what? There's always another company that will want to serve you. In this case, there's many other provinces and regions across the country that would love to have our young people. And at least you want to move ahead. So this is, I'm just going to show a few slides here of how moments of truth start influencing opinions uh, and attitudes. So this, you know, you start looking at these three different age cohorts, 18 to 24, 25 to 29, and 30 to 45. And these are just some simple factors we pulled out. Um, look at the red line, which is the influence of others. So there is a, a tipping point contagion happening here. When, when young people start seeing friends move, there's an acceleration factor happening. It declines fairly significantly as you get older because you've got other factors. Uh, once you're in your 30s, it might be professionally, it might be a family, it might be other factors that a friend leaving is less influential. Um, and then you start looking at the, the gray and the blue. The gray is the likelihood of relocating another pro to another province. Blue is relocating 
opportunities. Again, we start seeing how the moment of truth, that life stage starts changing intention to uh, to potentially leave their community or the province. Annalise, on the next slide. So I'd like to talk about the intersection of place, values, and identity. And this is just a couple examples. I've just used transit and a question we asked about the role of place as a reflection of the individual this issue of social identity is absolutely dominant amongst uh, young young people um, they no longer look at it as a place as simply a place a place is a projection of themselves and therefore the place must in fact embed their own values so what you're looking at here as an example is how for example the importance of public transit um, will vary. Um, for example, in this one, rural Alberta is a very low of very low importance, right? But in other jurisdictions like Toronto, it's foundational. Um, the young people that are are based there. Um, place says a lot about you. So if you look at Vancouver and Toronto, there, these are people in which they are highly the city and their communities highly intertwined with their own identity. Um, in fact, you look at the data; they do not view themselves as, uh, you know, people from Ontario. They do not view themselves as people from BC. They are Vancouverites. They are Torontonians. They don't even view themselves as Canadians because first and foremost, they're Torontonians and Vancouverites. That idea of city identity is critical. It's a critical opportunity, but it's also a critical risk. Um, if you want to move to the next slide, here's just a few examples um, um, that, again, additional questions I just want to pull out just to show the variance. So I love where I live. Uh, so in Alberta, that's a score of 76. Uh, percent who agreed with that point. Non-Alberta, it's 85. This actually, uh, in fact, buries um, a, a lot of the variance. Uh, in uh, places like Calgary, or sorry, Toronto and Vancouver, it's north of 90 percent. Um, and then in parts of rural Alberta, it's below, it's it's into the 50 percent range. Um, so again, if we look at this from a product perspective, 90% of my customers saying they love my product is a wonderful place to be. 50% of uh, my customers saying they love my product, I start getting scared um, because they will start shopping for alternatives. Next thing, where you live says a lot about you. Again, fairly significant variance. Rural Alberta um, is a very low consideration that place is a projection of them individually in large urban areas place says everything as i've said before uh, and you'll see uh, the notation here about the social influence again you've got to look at this very uniquely both influenced by place as well as influenced by age um, and then the last point is around um, i would call a coercive factor a coercive factor is i live somewhere only because of a job um, this is an area that we should be concerned about because uh, this is an area specifically in parts of rural Alberta. Uh, Northern Alberta specifically is the lowest uh, in data point in the study in which people live in Northern Alberta, a uh, majority live in Northern Alberta because only because of employment reasons. Um, that creates significant vulnerability um, on for any decision maker. Um, in other areas, uh, we see less of that inclination and that also varies by, by age as well. Annalise? Excellent.
Um, just some additional, I just wanted to pull out one of the slides here. This is the slight issue of how people self-identify. And I wanted just to show the Southern Alberta data on this one to give you a sense on, on the fluctuation there. Um, in, in rural Alberta as a whole, there is a strong provincial identity. Um, so people, first and foremost, as the data shows here, view themselves as Albertans. Uh, um, when you move into Calgary and Edmonton, Calgary specifically, we are far closer, as you'll see, to a Toronto um, who view ourselves as Calgarians, not Albertans. And then we start to, in fact, slice that even further. Uh, again, this is an opportunity, but it's also a risk as well, because um, um, Obviously, uh, the regional identity provincially has significant influence on attitude formation um, and other jurisdictions who, uh, and I'll pull out Austin, Texas, Berlin, Tasmania, are jurisdictions that have made um, significant investment in um, positioning the city or the community or region um, separate from the the political entity of the state or the or the province and that then has insulated them from any ebbs and flows on the political front um, and this is an issue that that we see here that is fairly consistent you good to go ahead to the next slide Annalise this is a question we asked around um, what I call perception is reality. And this is by far the most significant factor we need to be concerned about as a province. Um, we've looked at multiple data points over a variety of different studies around the facts versus the perception or the perception versus reality. And the gap at this age group is dramatic. And, it, and again, that's not their fault. As a marketer, I never blame a customer if they misunderstood the value of my product. Um, that is all on me. What this is, is um, a text feedback in our study of keywords people uh, thought of, a sentiment they thought of when they thought of Alberta. So we cluster these in a variety of areas. You look at the black is when people think of Alberta, they think oil and gas. Okay, you sit there and see the, the black and how that varies by, by region. Um, green is issues around, I think, of open prairies. I think of the mountains. I think of the rivers. I think of skiing, hiking. Um, that's the green. Uh, the blue is, I think, conservative. So again, we're going to interpret this as small c conservatism um, when they think of the region. And again, what I find interesting here is some of these, the variants um, we become, uh, it's the Alberta data um, often uh, that is very unique because we sit there and go, oh, the people in Vancouver, Toronto don't understand us. My take on this data is, in fact, um, it, it's many Albertans that don't understand ourselves. Uh, it's, it's Calgarians projecting stereotypes in rural Alberta. It's rural Albertans projecting stereotypes in urban Alberta. And that misinformation starts aggregating and amplifying the risk. The red is intolerance. Themes around intolerance is one of the dominant factors. Again, where does this sit around concerns about intolerance? It's our, ourselves looking in the mirror. It's real Alberta, it's Edmonton and Calgary um, that are more likely to say we are rednecks. It's more likely to say we are intolerant, um, more far more likely than anyone in Toronto or Vancouver. And the last elements are, are other positive and, and negative or neutral trends or other keywords. This, this issue really starts framing around the perception of how people see themselves when they think of Alberta and a sense of belonging. Do, do these values, do this, does this identity align with me? 
So if we can move to the next slide. So one of the exercises I ran in the focus group to start off the focus group was I asked um, every, every all the 92 people in the focus groups to start by drawing a picture of an Alberta. Okay, it was universal. Ninth, the 92 drew a picture of uh, a cowboy, middle-aged cowboy, white, uh, and uh, often a, a pickup truck. Um, some people might throw a, 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 an oil wall behind them or maybe a pair of skis, but it was universal. But here's the thing. Um, these were all young people under the age of 30. Um, a 30% of them were racialized. They don't see themselves as an Albertan. Um, and so it's not surprising when they project of what an Albertan is, they don't project themselves. They project their parents or, their, or other people that are stereotypical. That is problematic because they don't see themselves as belonging to this province. If we could move to the next slide. As a similar exercise, what I would ask uh, uh, individuals to reflect on is uh, the proportion of employment tied to oil and gas. And so I would do a poll, very informal, to stimulate a conversation across these focus groups. And I'd ask them what percentage of employment is directly uh, uh, result of oil and gas, the oil and gas sector, period. The responses range from 40 to 70%. 40 to 70% of all employment in the province, young people project to be part of the oil and gas sector. The answer is less than 7%. So when you look at the, the values of this sector, uh, specifically around fossil fuels, the overwhelming have want nothing to do with fossil fuel. The terminology I've seen most often is that's my parents' fuel. Um, climate and the environment is core value to them. And therefore, if they think 70% of employment is tied to something that is that that challenges their core values, is it surprising they want to go to Toronto or Vancouver? Not at all. But it doesn't reflect the reality of the opportunities. Uh, flipping to the next slide, I'll, I'll be wrapping up here shortly. Um, what we this is a Calgary study we did earlier this year as part of the first wave that looked at a variety of different what we call brand attributes associated with the city. Um, we coded them versus, versus fact, we call that authenticity, and then we coded against three different audiences. So Calgarians' uh, perception of it, uh, the external reputation, so those are people outside of Alberta, and then specifically we then isolated young people. Um, and what we found, and I'll show, I'll show the next slide, there is a huge gap between fact uh, around issues of diversity, around issues of uh, diverse career opportunities, around issues associated with belonging and so forth, and reality. And this gap is significant. And the next slide, if you could move ahead, shows this gap. Um, in fact, it, what it shows is that they believe of, of the key attributes of the, of the city, um, I was supposed to be young talent, uh, young talent think um is about a third of it is true and 70 percent of it is factual is, is fictional or aspirational um and if you look at the the other calgarians call it their parents uh they think there's a much uh a tighter bridge between between uh brand attributes of the city and and fact um 
uh, brands can often be have an aspirational dimension. But if you look at the top one, they, they basically believe that many of those attributes are a myth. Um, Alberta, and specifically Calgary, is not a diverse or welcoming community. They think that's aspirational, not, not fact. And, and the data certainly would, would challenge, challenge that. If you could move ahead. So what we've done, and I'm going to roll through, uh, I'm just going to hit some key strategic um, uh, pillars that we're framing out. The first one is be targeted. So what we've done as part of this study is, like any good marketer, there's no such thing as an Albertan. Um, there's certainly no such thing as a young Albertan. Um, in fact, um, there are many types of Albertans. They're driven and motivated by a variety of different factors. So what we've identified here are seven key segments that um, have very unique attributes, very unique motivations, very unique influencers or mediators, are framed by a variety of different moderating factors that lead to different outcomes. Um, and therefore, be targeted is we cannot just say, oh, you're 20 years old, you must be like this. That is not the case uh, under any circumstances. The more generic we, we create it, the more risk we create. Next slide, Annalise. What this what this is is showing the segments, um, and I won't again go to, from career movers to nature lovers to big city bound. There's obviously we've got a variety of segments that incorporate rural Alberta, and that that is the composition of the population. So in the blue, those are people who live in rural Alberta, um, and so. There's a proportion of rural Alberta in what we call career movers. They're moving because of careers. Um, big Alberta, big city bound are specifically a cohort of individuals with a high probability of leaving rural Alberta and moving to urban Alberta. Um, rural Alberta movers is, a, is also a segment of people who have intentionality of leaving the province totally. So again, looking at these strategically and understanding the factors behind them is critical. Annalise, next slide. Uh, strategy two is, is this idea of looking at um, our young people in more of a, with a journey mindset um, and, and engage them far earlier. So. Uh, we recommend the engagement start um, no later than grade 10. We believe there's three fantastic years in which we can build and embed uh, young people in their community. Um, and that can be uh, the first bullet talks about focus on the future. We do not have to talk about the oil and gas sector to these people. Um, it They are fully aware of the opportunities within the energy sector in this province. So. Profiling those opportunities is not, a, is not required. It's there just by the nature of the scope and size of it. What they're not aware of are the incredible opportunities in ag tech, biotech, um, in the other growth sectors. Those are the opportunities that we can introduce them at a young age to start creating um, that sense of exploration discovery that's available to them. Again, start in high school. This should start universally across the province by repositioning what we call the career and life management curriculum as really an opportunity for discovery in Alberta. Third element is we call scaffold uh, experiential learning. This would run from right through high school, right through post-secondary, in which we in fact embed young people's learning in their own communities. Um, I always say it's far more difficult to just pick up and leave if you spent two or three summers working with a small business in your community, working with people and making a difference to their lives, it becomes more home for you at that point. And the last one is 
across all these is the ability to seed professional capital. The reality uh, is, you know, individuals' competencies are mobile, but networks are not. Um, so if I've spent three to five years through high school and I am uh, post-secondary building a social professional social network, um, picking up and moving to Toronto or Vancouver is stranded capital. Um, and it becomes far more difficult at that point. Um, if I've got people that are looking out for me, opening doors, are mentors for me. Right now, that is, that is um, non-existent for many of these students. Moving ahead, and we're just, I'm just winding down here. Um, this issue is huge. Um, diversity is our strength, I call it. Um, Alberta cannot just simply be good in the issue of uh, perceptions of inclusiveness and well-being. We need to be the best because we're, we're dealing, as you saw in the data, uh, from a deficit. There's a perception both internal to Alberta and outside of Alberta that uh, there are significant uh, cohorts of the province that are intolerant and that there's to a great extent that is a projection and a stereotype um, and therefore we cannot be uh, simply good. We need to lead. We need to modernize governance structures that then to reflect the communities we're in. Um, uh, a third of the Calgary's population are racialized. And if you look at board composition across even our public se public sector boards, they're not remotely representative of the communities that they that, that we're in. Um, this is a problem. This is a problem because if you're not influencing and leading and governing your community, you don't have a sense of ownership of that community. And the last element is um, we have we cannot be timid. We need to confront intolerance uh, head on. We need to be intolerant about intolerance. Um, and this this is an area that we need to deal with at both the local level and the provincial level, because uh, it, it is what I call a, this is the most significant economic risk facing our province is a perception of uh, intolerance. And it will drive people of all ages, but specifically this age, age cohort out of the province. And the last one is uh, an area that uh, certainly I'm interested in is the role of city or region reputation. Right now, we defer to a great extent uh, to the provincial reputation. We are all framed by the, the perception of Alberta and how that bleeds positively or negatively down to our local communities. In some contexts, it can be an asset. In other contexts, frankly, amongst this cohort, it's a liability. Um, without actually controlling our own destination, we are going to be vulnerable to the ebbs and flows of, uh, of the provincial identity. And you can look no further than Texas to say the exposure of a city like Austin, which is a liberal progressive city, uh, and some of the current activities at the state level there, um, that will have a massive negative impact on the ability for Austin, companies based in Austin, to attract um, talent to that city because of the state level identity and state level issues. Last one is accountability, and I'm just gonna wind it up here, but accountability is about, right now, you know, I always say, we say talent's our most important asset, uh, but we have absolutely no one accountable for it. Um, I re certainly recommend establishing what I call chief talent officer at the provincial level, as well as at the local levels. And those people will be fully accountable for harmonizing and mobilizing all the assets and focusing on the ability to grow our talent base. Right now, it's fragmented. Um, and there's no accountability for this. And this, for me, is one of the greatest opportunities to start harnessing all the assets we do have. On that end, I'll say thank you. Lovely. Thank you very much for your presentation. That was wonderful. We've got quite a few questions in the queue, so I'm just going to jump right in. 
Uh, Laurie Schultz, thank you, David, for your presentation. To what extent, if any, do the cutbacks in healthcare, post-secondary and education by the Alberta government influence young people to stay or leave Alberta? Uh, it's, it's, I would say, you know, one, the thing is, it sits more at a macro level because it represents the prioritization of values and values of certain public policy. And so what we see amongst young people, specifically in the area of education, this is personal to them. Um, so cutbacks that they're feeling in real time in regards to class sizes, uh, program availability and so forth, it just signals we don't care about you. Um, you're not important to us. Um, and um, alternatives will become available, certainly when you start looking at the ability for uh, graduate schools. Um, graduate schools across the country have recognized this. Um, and what they are able to do is look at targeting Alberta um, high uh, graduating students out of post-secondary for graduate programs scale up the bursaries and scholarships because they know that Albertan institutions cannot respond um, in a similar mindset. So we're starting to see a bleed of, of the best and the brightest graduate students going outside the province because of funding made available uh, by other jurisdictions. Our next question comes from Mark Goodall. Do you consider differences in views of new arrivals versus first, second, third generation youth? Yeah, so we, we in fact, uh, the study empirically looked at that issue of generation. So we looked at people from that move from other parts of Canada to Alberta, um, uh, people that have moved from outside the country to Alberta and people who have lived uh, in uh, their current community for a period of time. Um, you know, I, I'm challenged by, you know, one of the things that I always emphasize and, and it's a subtle issue, but we talk about, you know, I'm a born and bred Albertan. I'm a third generation Al Albertan. Just be very clear, that's exclusionary language because that is suggesting that my family's just been here 10 years. I'm not a real Albertan. You may not mean it that way, but that is how it's interpreted. Um, and it's exclusionary. So um, I certainly, you know, I'm originally from Alberta. I've been here 27 years. I'm not a born and bred Albertan, but I can't ever think of being in Ontario and somebody saying, I'm a born and bred Torontonian. They don't say that, um, but we do it here. We do it here because there's an element of pride, which is positive. But you have to remember, there's also it's also exclusionary because it starts tearing what an Albertan is. And if I'm not a real Albertan, maybe I'll go somewhere else that I'm valued. Next question is from Knut Peterson. As climate change accelerates, how do you see major disruptions, as we now see in BC, play into where people want to live. Will such disasters have long-term effects on living desirably? No question about it. Um, whether it be issues tied to climate change, whether it be the pandemic, the very nature of place is changing. Um, technology is enabling a whole bunch of uh, different access in regards to how we can live and play and work in different locations. Just stepping to the pandemic, we in fact did look at the issue of remote work um, to see if that was a significant factor. It's a non-issue with this group. It's really interesting. So we think of young people as being the ones that I would love to sit in the mountains and hang out. In fact, they're very social. Um, 
the thought of them wanting to work remotely at that early stage in their career, it doesn't exist. They, in fact, want to be in an office with their peers. They want to be with mentors. They want to play, be a place they can coach, which is an opportunity for us. Um, it's an opportunity to sell those points to us before they move out and live in rural BC by themselves. In the issue of climate change, absolutely. That is in that that whole concept of um, the stability of a place, um, whether it be tied to uh, 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 climate impacts or otherwise, is a is a significant part of the factor. That being said, when you look at that shopping list, it actually rates relatively low um, uh, in regards to how it influences people's purchasing decisions. That whole area is really outside of um, a jurisdictional control, but certainly it will uh, impact anyone's decision. If you've spent any time in BC this summer, um, you realize living in a place that's smoky is not actually a very pleasant experience. Buff Mundell, did you see a relationship between a tax on and loss of medical doctors and nurses this past year and the need to move out of the province this year? No, but I, all these things contribute to a narrative and the stories matter, right? So what we were able to observe is the compounding uh, elements of these narratives of young people leaving, doctors leaving, um, uh, other professionals leaving. All they start creating um, uh, a perception that we live in an undesirable place. Um, and and that specifically becomes, we become exposed to that 18 to 24 year old cohort. People want to live in a place that's desirable, right? And when we look at the Vancouver data, the Vancouver data and Toronto data is fascinating because uh, my hypothesis was this. Who the hell wants to live in a place where the entry price point uh, for a condo is a million dollars and they have no hope in hell of ever buying a home, ever, right? I thought this issue of affordability was going to, in fact, demonstrate um, a, a low level of uh, um, uh, well, a uh, low level of love, call it, for Toronto and Vancouver. In fact, it was inverted. It was the exact opposite. What what we saw in the research was people in Toronto, when they look at affordability, or people in Vancouver, they look at affordability. It's a signal that they live in a place that everyone else in the world wants to live in and they can't so it starts projecting in fact embedding them tighter into the community sure they're never going to buy a home but you know when the focus groups we ran in which we had a lot of albertans in vancouver in this and they're like i don't need a white picket fence and living in lethbridge like when i grew up i'm content with a 400 square foot apartment in downtown vancouver because i live in the best place in the world that's a trade-off that we saw conscious uh, uh, consistently in both the focus groups as well as the, in the survey data. Um, Bev Mandel has another question. Do you present this data to our current government to help them see what they need to change? Yeah, so the, the current government, the government of Alberta is part of the task force. Um, uh, it, the task force is being led by the federal government because they're funding this research uh, through Western economic diversification, but it involves uh, many departments at the at the provincial level as well as uh, uh, municipal and regional level. I would emphasize, you know, part of this is about taking local community control. 
Um, we spend too much time deferring to other jurisdictions, whether it be at a local level saying that's not in, in, in my breadbasket, it's the provincial responsibility, or the province saying it's the federal responsibility. That still doesn't get anything done. Um, we really have to look at what we can do at a local level and mitigate potential risks at other jurisdictions and ideally harmonize with them. But there's so much we can do at a local level to really have impact. Beth Mandel's third question, she's on the roll, Beth is. Even if oil and gas are only 7% of our economy, fossil fuels are pushing climate change. So their negative impact pushes perceptions of a province slash government that's out of step with reality. Your comment, please. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we've, I've got multiple studies that show exactly that. So step one is they don't want to work in the sector. Step two is they don't want to be in a place associated with the sector, right? So this is why you're starting to see, and, and um, uh, Mayor Gondek here in Calgary, as an example, uh, I, I've had the pleasure of working with Jody in the past. She's a faculty member at, at uh, UFC. Um, it's not an accident that one of the first activities of the new city council in Calgary was to, to uh, declare a climate emergency. That is a clear signal. We are taking this seriously. We're going to act on this. That's an example of we can't just play nice anymore. We need to get ahead of this, both from a narrative perspective and from a factual perspective. Um, and, and if we can, the young people want to be part of the solution. They want to be part of that transition and transformation, right? So it's going to be a phased um, transition of the economy overall. They want to be part of that. Um, they do not want to be part of the, the quote-unquote fossil fuel economy. And we're going to have to manage that transition accordingly. Leona Jacobs, how does working remotely, and then in brackets, a career factor, figure into the retention or not of young people? Uh, it, again, like I said, at that early career stage, it, it actually is not a desirable um, a path for many young people. Um, uh, some of us who are older, work and road is fantastic um, because we have our social capital, we have our professional capital, we've got our career and our networks in place. But at that age, you're, you're growing through osmosis. And therefore, what we saw in the data is working remote is not something that appeals to a lot of young people. We actually uh, looked at this. Uh, there's a separate study that looked at the potential of Alberta being uh, a beneficiary of, of the ability of recruiting people from other jurisdictions across North America um, into Alberta if you're mid-career and you want to sit in uh, in the Rocky Mountains and sit in Bidger Creek or sit and ski. Uh, and we saw very little appeal to that. Alberta is not top of mind for um, many Canadian jurisdictions and certainly Americans. It's a non-starter of becoming a hub for uh, a volume at least of, of remote workers. Next question comes from Mark Goodall. To what extent do you think the current government's rhetoric regarding the unfair equalization situation, anti-Quebec statements, etc., is affecting the province's youth? Uh, uh, people want to be part of a team. Um, and I, this is more, more uh, anecdotal more than anything. One of the things we struggled with in looking at this data, uh, and we tried to tease out through the qualitative research, was this idea of 
when they say conservative, small c conservative, is that derogatory? Are they doing it in a manner in which that is negative, not neutral or positive? And I think young people, this is anecdotally my interpretation, young people don't use conservative in in a positive way so when we start seeing that blue in that chart of when they think of alberta they think of conservative they that means it's it's conservative means it's not progressive right so there's progressive and there's regressive and if that that large proportion of young people sit there and go place is too conservative for me that is is potentially bleeding uh will lead to um uh, a perception that the the current government or the pro- values of the province do not, not align with my values. Now, what I emphasize is the government of Alberta, regardless of where it sits on the political spectrum, are not is not Alberta. And we often interpret the government of Alberta as, as in fact, the province. And the more we can do to uh, uh, detach our own identity from the political seasonality um, and represent, have an identity that's, that's uh, apolitical, is is only positive right now i think it's become very politicized one way or the other and that is not that's not a positive thing for our province at all um, regardless of age or or desires um sorry i got a little lost here in the queue let me just um laura schultz can you comment on how the gig economy plays in young people's decision to migrate. Yeah, it's interesting. So we've just completed actually a study of, of the Calgary gig economy, specifically marketing and communications. So it's tied to, to the space that you're all in and started looking at career pathways at a variety of different life stages and from a variety of different functional parts of the economy. Um, m- many people at a young age aspire for that level of independence. Um, what they don't appreciate, and I can just speak to, to my own students, is the, is the factors that require you to be successful in a gig economy, um, which is often about networks and business development. You've got to be able to monetize networks and be able to be very good in business development to be able to monetize and become successful in the gig economy. I certainly advise my students, um, being your own boss is fantastic, but you probably have to spend 10 years uh, building that pr- pr- uh, professional capital and expertise and evidence of your value before you can start to be able to effectively become your own boss, whether that be as a solopreneur or setting up your own agency or, or small business. That's just simply because you need a base level of work at that early age, call it early 20s. The only value proposition you often bring is you're cheap and inexpensive. And that is a that is not a winning strategy for many people. Um, sorry, Leona. Uh, next question is from Leona jo- Jacobs. I did get lost in the queue, so I missed her. Uh, my apologies. When you spoke earlier about the exclusionary language, I thought of social conservatism. I'm assuming this is buried into the concept of tolerance or lack of. What social cons- what's social conservatism considered? Uh, 
not not explicitly um we 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 unpacked a variety of different values um associated with with uh the drivers and motivations of young people so we did not move into uh specific areas associated with social conservatism um it did emerge uh in some of the focus groups though uh, i can tell you because those were much more open and freewheeling and so the issues of um uh, perceived intolerance in a very local community level, whether it be tied to issues of tied to social conservative issues, it often emerged. It often emerged in rural Alberta. I'll be honest, as as an issue where there's a tension uh, between uh, kids and their parents, um, in which the kids held very progressive values on issues and their parents did not. They were more conservative on social issues. And that's why why the risk I've seen in real Alberta is what I call the stepping stone risk. What we saw in real Alberta to a great extent is the data is in fact, where they look at progressive um, communities that align to their values, um, if you're in Pitcher Creek or, or Fort McMurray, you in fact look towards Calgary and Edmonton. That is your bastion of progressive places. And if you look at just our own city council elections in the last month, that in fact reflects the majority of the values of the, both those cities. So what we saw in real Alberta is the stepping stone. Step one is from real Alberta into urban Alberta. So, and again, a lot of that is driven by not just career opportunities, because I think there's an obviousness to that, but I don't think that's actually a very, uh, the only factor. I think one of the dominant factors is alignment around values. But then what you see is amongst the high um, potential talent in urban areas, they they then look at their next step of the stepping stone is actually Toronto and Vancouver. So they then what we see in Calgary and Edmonton is a significant desire to move to metropolitan centers. Um, and so you've got the stepping stone picture to Calgary, Calgary to, to Vancouver is just the logical stepping stone we often see. Next question comes from Mary Shillington. Did you find differences in terms of gender? No, gender, interestingly, did not play a significant role. It appeared in some factors, certainly, but we we tested uh, statistically for a variety of different factors, and, and gender did not play um, a dominant role. It emerged, again, in, in some areas, but it was at best secondary. Um, uh, it obviously emerged around some potential issues around values and so forth or activities, but it wasn't a dominant factor compared to many of the others in the in the data set. Uh, Caleb Peterson, farming is a, a very big part of Alberta's economy, but it's not a big part of the workforce because of the mainly raw products export. Please explain the benefits of value-added endeavors in terms of keeping people in an Alberta. No, it, it's it, it's a it's a wonderful observation, and it's a, also I think a, a wonderful opportunity to look at the changing dynamic of an. Uh, of, a, of an industry, and I don't pretend to be uh, knowledgeable at all about agriculture or or uh, related sectors, but man oh man, there are some really interesting innovation happening now in the ag sector um, that can create really fascinating career pathways um, in which it bridges both the emergence of what we're seeing from this uh, young this younger cohort around the Im impacts of innovation technology to fundamentally reframe, create some efficiencies, create uh, an industry that is far more environmentally conscious through the use of of technology and, and 
and the, be able to bridge the two and say, it's not an either or, this is not binary. Um, the opportunity to follow your passion on the tech side to in fact build a better agricultural sector or bio sector or energy sector is the convergence of the two. And there's been significant work in that over the last 20 years in this province absolutely under the radar um it's not uh, understood or recognized by any um by by very many young people at all and those are the future opportunities i think that we start blending the the quote-unquote traditional economy with the new economy our last question of the day comes from bev mandel was there a difference on the data gathered while the ndp were in government in alberta versus the ucp no, boy, boy, I would love that data. Um, one of the things we're constrained by is access to the data. Uh, and when the data was collected, there's been no study of this nature before. Um, the or only other data that we found that was relevant was the city of Calgary collected data in, in uh, 20. Uh, 20 on this topic, um, but we've got no longitudinal data. So I can't tell you what it was like five years ago or 10 years ago. And but that's a systemic problem. Marketers look at trends. Marketers know they need to collect data over time to understand the impact of interventions. Did this campaign work? Did this product design work? Did this distribution channel work? And I could start looking at the impacts of those interventions or investments by simply looking at the trend data over time and when the intervention happened. With no longitudinal data, we are just throwing stuff against the wall and hoping something sticks. And that's where I say, if we were looking at this systematically and strategically and actually had a chief talent officer in place, that's the type of data we collect, the type of interventions we then look at and look at the, the return on those interventions. Um, without that, it's random and ad hoc, and that's just not sustainable and it would lead to poor outcomes. Um, Laura Schultz, David, thank you for an overview of this fascinating research. Mark Goodall, very interesting study, many thanks. Ian Hurdle, many thanks. And also on behalf of SACPA, I really like to thank you for this very fascinating talk and for your time today. Um, before we wrap up our session, um, do you have a take home message for our viewers, please? Uh, this problem is all our problem. Uh, so it's easy for us to defer and say that's the government's responsibility that's the university or the college responsibility it's the curriculum on high school it's a political party's responsibility no it's not it's our responsibility it starts at home um, it starts at home with our own children and our own uh, their friends and their family and our community we can have impact at the most grassroots level and I would argue the greatest impact we can have is at home so um, Social networks matter. What we're seeing is uh, contagion matters. The minute things get uh, perceived as negative at a local level, it spreads. And that creates this tidal wave of negativity, which then leads to this mass outward migration. Start and take control, be accountable to our own communities. Wonderful. Um, Beth Mundell, Knut Pedersen, Jim Miller, all thank you very much. So lots of thank yous in the queue. Um, folks, join us next week with uh, Connie Marie uh, Reed Hubble. Are you a senior who's feeling lonely? Would you like someone to keep you in, keep in touch with you? 
that is next week thursday and um thank you very much for tuning in thank you again for our uh, david for being with us thanks so much